We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And yesterday, we had a draft day. It was my first in the building. That was an incredibly fun experience that my inner 13-year-old... Uh, I feel like I'm getting the deluxe fan package with, with that and, and being in the building. So uh, maybe we'll talk a little more about that later. But we welcomed a couple new Lakers. We, Lakers bought a pick, first of all. Let's start with that. Bought the 35th pick in the draft, traded a future second-round pick along with, with cash. First of all, that D, that's pretty good value. I'm surprised that we were able to get that high into the draft with that type of trade capital. Like just from a, like getting an asset for very little perspective, that was like, Hey, a nice little win right there. Yeah. I think the Lakers did a very good job of identifying, like, I'm sure they had several teams in mind. Orlando, I'm sure was one of them, maybe Minnesota. There were several teams that had like a few second round picks or two or more second round picks. It's like, okay, those are the teams that we're going to target, right? Especially a team like Orlando, Mike, that already had, did they have two first rounders already as well? I know that they picked number one overall, but but I can't recall if... They had the earlier second. Uh, yeah, oh. So they had the two two super early seconds. So I think that was that second, early second was a good target. Yeah, so so that's exactly right, Mike. I did not think the Lakers were going to be able to get a pick that high. There had been rumors, of course, for the last few days that they were looking into trying to get a second round pick, but 35 is high. You're getting good value there. And Mike, I saw you tweeting out Rob Palinka quotes after the draft and um, that idea of, of them acquiring a pick seemed like it was in the mix for a while. But again, I'm not sure if Rob even thought that they were going to be able to get something that high and get real value there from the Lakers perspective, because I think that they saw similar talent in that range of the draft from probably like the mid 20s to the mid 30s or so. So, yeah, had we been told a, a couple of weeks ago as we we're figuring out, hey, when and where can the Lakers get in on this draft? And and Riggs has thoughts as well. I, <laughs> I think that the perspective as to what they're going to do with it 
was going to be interesting. And, and we might have thought, and I think we might have even discussed this. Okay, they need players. Like this is a team. It's it's, it's vets. It's LeBron. It's AD. And what I like about the approach, and this is something that I asked Rob on the conference call afterwards, was because in this case, Max Christie is more of a uh, of a talent that they think could really emerge as like a true mm-hmm. two way impact type player, but one that isn't necessarily ready. Um, not even just next season, but he might not even be as ready for summer league as some of these players, you know, based off of last season, how much uh, additional strength he has to have, how much uh, all of the things that he has to keep going with. But I like that as a draft strategy. And it's generally been, it's generally worked out better for the Lakers to just take the guy that's at the top of their board based on the talent. And <laughs> that's, that to me is the significance here as, Hey, yes, we, I get it. Our team situation, the, the stuff that we can address in free agency to an extent, that's one thing. But really, we have to start developing assets and we have to get back to, to having talent and our own guys that we develop. And, and so I thought that was the key. I'm so glad you brought that up because that, as you said, on a team that appreciate the serenade from from Riggs, uh, on, on a team that has um, that has that many open roster spots. The temptation to be like, oh, we could get an NBA ready guy in the second round would be high. I would certainly see that. And so in even in the draft preview that I did with Mike Garcia, we really focused on three and D wings. Those are the types of guys that it's the most easily translatable role. You'll have a couple guys come in every year that will will be a second round pick. But because they fit that very specific role and it's not terribly complicated, they are contributors as as rookies, but that's not the route that we went. A guy like Christie, I very much see the tools, and we'll get more into uh, him and the specifics of his game, I think, in, in the later segments. But that notion of investment, D, that's what Rob Planka spoke to, uh, to a degree. And he, Christie is exactly the type of player where, with good player development, this is something that Darvin Ham, Chris Gent, uh, and Phil Handy all have just really strong backgrounds in. We probably have one of the stronger player development crews in the NBA, just in terms of at, at the top and what their background comes from. That idea of investing in player development is something that represents somewhat of a philosophical turn from the last couple of years, too. So I think that on the back end of the roster, that's great. And I think that's what this draft kind of addresses. We will need more guys that can actually play now to be competitive this upcoming season. But I, that stood out to me, that that investment and that idea that we are going to kind of bring guys games and elevate them over time. No, I think that that's exactly right. And that synergy between your point and, and Mike's point is super important, right? That the investment in players and player development is an idea that I think is backed up by who is on this coaching staff and what the philosophies are of this particular new regime that they've hired, right? And we can invest in players over the long term, right? Darvin Ham, I think, got a four-year contract, right? So this guy is going to be here. What can this player be in year two, right? Or in the early stages of year three, or will he make a jump in like 18 months? So that idea of investing is both not only in the player, but in the coaches, right? And and how can we bridge these ideas together in order to get the most out of this player, not necessarily in year one, but in year two and in year three. And 
I would argue, though, that this isn't so different than like the THT pick, for example. There's tools there. It's a young player. And there's someone who you hope to get more out of in year two and year three. Because if you remember, like THT spent his entire first season in the G League. Like he didn't even really play at all for the main club. Now, you could argue there's definitely a difference in where the team is at this stage and the number of players that you would want within your rotation. But I think we also need to understand that this is a second round pick and the 35th pick as well. And the likely outcomes of that pick are still relatively low. And so Mm -hmm. taking a swing on a player like this, I think is also important where you're not necessarily saying, well, let me get, let, let me get a player who's more ready, who may not have the ceiling. Like there's a balance there. And I sort of like the way that the Lakers went about this one. I think it reflects a larger like macro point about I think there's this perception that the Lakers have sold everything in terms of their future picks uh, for LeBron James and Anthony Davis and on that they don't have their we don't have our picks. Right. Like, But we there are just pick swaps ahead. Right. Like that's not really the reality of what our situation is with with our uh, our draft picks. And therefore, that turn toward more player development and more like we're going to take a Max Christie in the second round with the idea that he's going to be good in three years. I d- Does it make sense what I'm saying, Mike? Like, I think there's this perception where it's like we've sold everything for LeBron and AD and we've got no future aside from them. That doesn't really reflect where we are now. So the Lakers are in a place now where we owe one more first round draft pick either in 2024 or 2025. But there's not this like dearth of picks and it's not the same landscape, I suppose, as it was a couple of years ago, Mike. So I I don't know, that idea that we take a Max Christie for the idea of, of who he could be two, three years from now, rather than who he is today, represents just sort of a shift that I think is worth talking about. Yeah. And the talent buildup that the Lakers had over several years when they were having picks in this range, but it was it was more like because they had been good the previous year. And at least this is like the going way back. So when they had the late first round picks and and then they had the early second round picks and they had so many hits in that area. And by the way, I tweeted yesterday about the Lakers hits and I was there was a lot of pushback on Mo Wagner, who I included <laughs> in the list, which I understand. I, I was using the phrase more of a and, and the other ones, of course, you know, Kyle Kuzma, Josh Hart, uh, Jordan Clarkson, sure. THT, Thomas Bryant. In the in Zubats, in the context of a lot of times when you pick there, that player is just cut after a couple of years and out of the league. And that's the point. So in that sense, like although I, I probably like Wagner a little bit more than most, but I, I agree he's not a draft day hit, but it's not it's less of a miss in that context. But that please, uh, forgive me uh, for those sure. that are on Twitter. I felt like I had to explain that a little bit more. No, you did have to uh, defend yourself, Mike. I saw yeah. you there. You should have brought up at least also to Mo Wagner's acting career. Was very good in the movie Hustle. I'm not sure if y'all have seen Hustle. Yeah, I heard about that. I'm about should we to watch, watch Hustle? It. I, you I'm, should watch there's Hustle. There's like three people. There's like three Hustle's, people who've been like, "Have you seen Hustle?" In the last 24 hours, Hustle is made for NBA people, okay. and so it's got your boy Pete Hernan Gomez. Yes, it's got your boy Far Pod Legend Juancho Hernan Gomez. He's very good in the movie. He's very good, and Anthony Edwards too. Excellent at played a jerk. Strong jerk vibes from Anthony Edwards. And so it's definitely worth your time. Look, pops of popcorn, 
enjoy a good Netflix movie. Maybe I'll do it's, that this weekend. Yep, it's All under right. two hours. It's definitely uh, I mean, good. Yeah, it's been it's been on the list. Okay, so you you gonna watch Hustle this weekend too, Mike? If you watch it, I'll watch it. Oh yeah, no, I, I'll watch it for sure. I'll, it's been on the list. It's been on the list. We've uh, right. we've had stuff going on here, as you have as well. But it's yes. high on the list. Okay. So do you want Pete? Do you want to recenter me uh, on, or do you want me to just? Bump, I was going to bump off something else on Christy. Maybe we do that after the break. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Uh, one of the things about Max Christie, and it's as the concept that Pete just described, but also as a player archetype. And this is something that we've spent a lot of time talking about with the roster build. And the question for me is more about like with THT is more about timing and contract. And so if you get a guy in this range, how good and how much contributing can he do before his next contract has to come and then make that a little bit less of a value. So that's one thing to kind of set aside. that I think we can get into further, but the player and the type of player that he is, uh, I, I have to acknowledge from the top have not watched film on him yet and have not seen a full Michigan state game. So my knowledge of him is coming more from what Rob said, what the scouts have said, what some of the Laker scouts that I've talked to have said. And I knew before the draft that this was a guy that they really liked and really wanted and were hoping that got to this point. So that leads me to believe that uh, positive things. So, so, so that's Mike, one would, place would to you say, me. would you gauge? Yeah, there's a level of enthusiasm from the people you have talked to. There's a certain yes. amount of like, yes, we got they Max were very Christie. happy internally. They're very happy internally. Like when it's in your Sweet. fantasy draft, when you've got somebody in the queue. Uh-huh. And, and every <laughs> yes. time he doesn't get taken, you give the little fist bump. Like there were two players that I knew that they liked right coming up to that pick that were both there and it because there were a couple bigs that were taken in the previous couple spots. So that's one thing. But why? Well, what I like in what I've learned so far at this very base level is somebody with that size and that height that that's got offensive skills, particularly that can shoot, but has shown a very clear indication that he's happy to defend. And that yeah. he values that part of basketball yeah. that 
Like that's, I much prefer that mindset that I don't think can be taught than somebody who's just super efficient, gets a ton of buckets. Like we've, we've been over this, right? So the player type, because you're not going to get a primary creator, right? At 35 there. But can you get a guy that can finish a game in X amount of years in a, like a playoff game because he's about the right things. He's got the body, he's got the skill set, and he's committed to doing it. So that's the part that I like most. And now I want to watch and see if that if my eye, if the eye test meets kind of this perception that I'm forming. But that's encouraging to me. Yeah, I have some microwave evaluations. I you know from watching him over the last day, and you know um, trying to dig in as as much as I can. Um, Again, with respect to those who do this all year long, but the defensive end of the floor is really where he stood out, Mike. That not only that length, but there's he's got a technique to him where when he's on the ball, he's like he's mirroring the ball correctly. He's sliding his feet. He's and when you combine technique with tools, you're a lot of the way there. Now he's very much 19. And one of the main reasons why I don't think he's going to be much of a contributor this upcoming season, but although the rate of it, you never know the rate of player development. Um, but just from a physical strength standpoint, I think there's even on his jump shot. One of the things that really stood out to me is that he's really good on long twos. Like if you set a wide pin down, screen for him this is an nba action so for a shooter right is you're standing in the corner your big man's gonna set that screen for you and you're gonna curl around it you're gonna flare out to the three-point line or curl all the way to the basket um but it's a common action and he is really good on those little elbow jumpers where you curl it right into the mid-range like really pure i see i see a lot of why he's projected as a shooter um, and and is considered a shooter, but you have to reconcile that with he shot 32% from three. So how do you do that? Right. And, and that a lot of, there are a lot of indicators in his game where Rob's first comment about he needs to get stronger, that that would resolve several aspects because his three point percentage went down as the season went, went on. And if you watched his misses, a lot of them were short, like a disproportionate amount were straight, but short. And so just a lot of these indicators that it's like, oh, you're, you're awesome from 17 feet, but your legs started to go from 20 feet, Mike, you know, like these things kind of stack up to that observation of, oh, he gets stronger. He fills out all of a sudden these get kind of naturally resolved. Well, the other thing to throw this to Darius with is he has pedigree of being an elite player. So he's got that, the, whatever the, the rankings are that are most used mm-hmm. and the McDonald's all America and the kind of the state player of the year, although almost everybody that plays in the NBA was a state player of the year, but having real talent and producing in multiple ways for a while and then getting to college and especially in the big 10, which was pretty good last year and not quite getting there yet. Uh, this is, it's kind of a classic to me opportunity Right. For a team where he's shown it before against his peers, certainly. Then he got it was maybe a little bit ahead of where he was physically. But that that Darius to me is another way that some teams are are looking for. Uh, some things are looking for in that context. And it looks like, Pete, you want to jump in? Well, yeah. One of those things is he's he played 30 plus minutes for Tom Izzo, who's a very serious defensive coach. Like as a freshman, the I, I saw a stat. I think Miles Bridges was the only other freshman to play 30 minutes for Izzo. And so to me, this is my most like pro Christie argument from watching 
the little that I have, again, I really want to emphasize that, is that this is another example, D, of strength and endurance and conditioning. We saw this happen with Austin last year. Like, all of a sudden, he can't hit a freaking three. He's wide open and he's like airmailing it by by three feet type of thing. And like when but when you play hard on the defensive end and you're not physically that strong. One of my favorite NBA theories, right? About yeah. the guys in the playoffs that, mm-hmm. oh, why are they missing threes in game six all of a sudden? Because yeah, they're right. playing defense, bro. That's right. That's right. And so I think Christie is one of those guys, though, where if you had a hard time with that in college, over 30, 35 games, you're about to do 82 with grown men. And so that, again, is why I would temper my expectations early on for him. But I definitely see the potential there. Yeah, I have zero expectations for him for next season. I just don't see him being there physically yet. Mm -hmm. Just in terms of weight and ballast and all of these things that matter when you're playing against like a 28-year-old guy. In terms of some of the stuff, like both of you guys, I have not like dove in to anything. Like I watched watched a highlight tape and I was just like, oh, look, everything goes in. And then I watched like scouting breakdown stuff when then fast forwarded to the weaknesses portion. And I'm just like, ah, (laughs) this is, this is what it looks like over the course of like an actual game. Right. Because you, you then see the misses in terms of things that I liked. I echo what you were saying, Pete, there were, there's something that he does defensively that I really like. And it's his off arm placement Mm. and where his off arm is. Right. And so when you're guarding the ball handler, imagine yourself in a defensive stance, your front arm, if you're not squared up entirely and you're typically and you rarely are when you're sliding defensively, you're rarely square to the guy. You're normally in a stance and one foot's a little bit forward because you're playing at an an angle. That front arm is normally in a position to jab at the ball or hand check if you're able to put your hands on uh, the guy a little bit. But it's basically your guide hand. You are feeling out where the guy is going and you're trying to sort of just shade him a certain way. But your opposite hand, a lot of times, lazy defenders that hand is down and it's down a lot because you're just sliding and you're using that as just sort of like your opposite arm. His opposite arm is up a lot and it is active. It is in passing lanes. And when players go and you'll notice this a lot because he slid his feet well when he was actually not beaten off of an initial drive. Right. And so when he's sliding, that off arm then becomes a way where when a guy shoots a step back, if that hand is down, that's how that look gets to be a clean look. It's because you were then using that to gather and you're late. You're late with your contest. But one of the things I liked about him in watching just some of his defensive possessions was that arm was up. And so when and he's got good length, right? So he's like six, five and a half, almost six, six, but he's got about a six, nine wingspan. And I think his standing reach was eight foot two or eight foot three. Mm -hmm. And so he was able to get up high. And because his hand and his arm was already contested, it felt like to me, at least that he was forcing misses based off the fact that the offensive guy was like, oh, damn, you're already in my shooting pocket. You're already in my window. And that's an important thing that I like to see defensively. And Pete, to contrast that, it was one of the things I always was like 
on Brandon Ingram about. It's just like, right. you've got this incredible length. Like, yeah. play with your arms up more. Like, use yes. your use that length more, right? Because I felt like he could be so much more disruptive defensively than he was. And he's gotten, he's shown flashes in that. But I like seeing that this kid, like, that's a part of his natural defensive tendencies. You guys heard during the playoffs how passionately I feel about on-ball defense and ball pressure, right? The, the ability to disrupt and um, that's how you do it. And that, but that Mike is one of the things that is hard to do over 82 and you do get tired, right? Like that's when a, a player starts to relax a little bit. That's one of the things that goes. Maybe you don't mirror the ball with hands high because it's one of the more tiring things to do in minute 32 of game 45 of the season, right? And so this is, I think, one of the primary differences between regular season basketball and high-level basketball is the the guys who are they're the best at pressuring the ball like when they turn it up to 10 to 11 that's a lot to handle um one of the famous examples was scotty pippen on magic johnson in the 91 finals was scotty picked up full court and it really disrupted the lakers offense and so this is something that it just is micro part of the game that i feel very passionate about that i that what darius was saying about keeping hands high and, and being active i think is uh exciting a, a, an exciting part about christie's game and so I'm excited because I'm going to get to see him in person a lot in the next month or so. So we've got the Cali Classic up in San Francisco. I'll be going out there. Hopefully Darius will meet me for some soup in the summer. And uh, then <laughs> then we've got Vegas. And I'm going to be going for at least a portion of that. And so that, that's that's one thing that's good. But I want to echo what Darius said earlier about expectations. And the Lakers haven't had a lot of irons in the fire in the draft lately. And so to have to trade up for a pick, right, and get a guy when there aren't that many, we're not. Gonna, it's not going to be like a crazy frisian. Uh, in terms of bringing in a bunch of you know elite star type players, I just want to I want to double on what Darius said and let's lower the expectation and not no chance, try Mike. to not pretend like this is a top five pick that that has to make the first shot that he takes. Otherwise, it's going to be a disappointment. Right. And and I know that's so much easier said than done to the point where, Pete, I don't know if it's even possible. And which is, I think, why you chuckled. Yeah. And therefore. <laughs> yeah. So what's important then? It's the mentality of the kid in this case, the 19 year old. Yes. And it's I, part of the deal. I can't I can't judge that yet. That's what I got to talk to the Scots a little bit more on. I did like in one sense. So he did his he spoke to some of us right after the after I don't know, probably about two hours after the draft. And. Very matter of fact, you know, pretty concise, not adding a bunch of extra stuff in. I asked him this question about, hey, how do, how do you balance kind of your expectations for what you can do in the NBA next year based off of your one year in, in college? And and he's he's like, look, I just want to get better. You know, he's so he's very he seems like he's very focused and he's very, um, you know, not trying to get too many things in his head at once, which I th think could be important. And this is me gleaning that off of a very limited conversation, but I just, that to me is important that he's got that type of a persona, a, a lot like Kuzma had, yes. uh, you know, when he, when he got drafted and he was like, I'm just going to do my thing, yes. you know, and, and he wasn't kind of scared of that moment, which can be tricky. I think in this situation, not just with the, what the fan base is expecting, but with LeBron James standing on the court That's next right. to you and with Anthony Davis right out there. So just a, just a, a little note there. Let's take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about kind of the mental makeup that goes into that. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So one of the reasons I was chuckling while Mike was saying that is that he's right. We haven't had uh, a pick this high, right? And again, we're talking about the 35th pick. This is not a high pick at all. This is a 19-year-old, a freshman. But going into summer league, man, we're, we're gonna, he's going to have that extra degree of attention on him that comes with being a Laker. And this is part of the deal. It also comes with being next to LeBron on a team that's going to have uh, expectations. And so while I hope that in the regular season, at the very least, our expectations are tempered, it's not always how it works around here. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Being 19 years old, drafted by the Los Angeles Lakers under the circumstances that we're under, that's going to be a certain trial for him that he's going to have to navigate. And, and with, just with no first round pick, which a lot of times that will take the pressure off of the second yes, round pick. 100%. You know? 100%. So I just love to hear your, your thoughts on that because that is another aspect of it that we don't always really get into. It is important. Um, and this is where you don't know how a player is going to respond until they're forced to respond. Right. So all of the pre, like, I'm happy that Mike got that Mike's gleaning certain things from conversations that he had, or, you know, we're all going to get some sound bites and see how he reacts in interviews and everything else. But when you go three for 12 against some random, <laughs> I'm just saying like it's going to be summer, summer league. league. Yeah. Yep. It, in, in a summer league game, probably bad basketball guys yeah. who don't know each other have never played together before. And managing that roller coaster mentally and, and just being able to have that resiliency and that focus is going to be super important for well for him. This is where I think for all the potential, I don't even want to call it negatives, but just the challenges of the spotlight and of being a teammate of LeBron James and what the expectations of a large fan base can do. I also know that if you've listened to Austin Reeves talk or Kalen Horton Tucker talk or a lot of the young players who have found their way through the Laker organization over, over the last several years, they've almost all mentioned how the veterans on the team, particularly LeBron and AD and you know, this past season, Carmelo Anthony and and other vets, that those guys have been super useful in terms of passing on information and how if you want to know how to deal with the pressures of the game, right? It's one thing your talent can certainly carry you, but there's always going to be those external pressures and navigating that is super important. And the resources, who are you, who your vets are is a key ingredient to, to, to all of that. And so Mike, you've been around a ton of NBA teams over the years and you've seen young players galore and you've seen veterans galore as well. And I think I'd love to hear your thoughts on the difference that like a good set of vets can make on a young player's life, because there was a stretch there where 
I'm going to be honest, where it was like, oh, look, there's Nick Young and there's, uh, I forgot his name right now, the dude who was drafted right after Steph Curry and went to the Knicks. Um, Jordan, uh, Hill. Jordan Hill. Jordan Hill. Yes. yes. So, my apologies, Jordan Hill. Yeah. Right. Because now I'm about to blast you guys is when I saw your bets be like, oh, there's Jordan Hill and there's Nick Young. It's just like that's not the most serious group of players. Kobe on Jimmy Kimmel, man. And Mike yes. was a central figure in this. So who are you talking to? Jeremy the Lin. interview with yeah. uh, Infamous. It was. Yeah. Jeremy Lin and then Swaggy P. Jordan yep. Hill roll in. And I, I just have to say, though, Nick Young, one of my favorite people of all time. Good dudes. Sure. But, but sure. yeah, and, and actually and great with young guys, but yeah, but in, in a different way, not necessarily great with young guys in the way that a, you know, um, a veteran leader type that Darius is referring to would be. And so that's so I'd love to kick it to you here, Mike, because I do think that like who your vets are matters and how they get you because you can go you listen to some guys talk. And I love hearing players who have been in the league for seven, eight, nine years. And then they talk about like, oh, well, what mattered in your career? And they'd be like, mm-hmm. oh, well, you know, my vet was Derek McKee. Or my vet was this person who was like one of those just true veteran dudes who was mm-hmm. all like, oh, my vet was Antonio Davis. Or right. And it's just like, okay, well, these guys were serious dudes who taught them the ropes on what it meant to be an NBA player and how to navigate yourself on and on court or on and off court and all of these things. And so I am hopeful then that a Max Christie being exposed to a LeBron James and an Anthony Davis and that and a Darvin Ham and all of these people who have been around the league for such a long time that they're going to influence him appropriately because it is a different thing to come into the league at 19 years old. And, and then with all of these expectations of playing for the Lakers, Mike. The analogy I would use would be if you're in, coming up in school and you can either have a teacher that really impacts you, or you could have, if you're a freshman and there's a senior, let's say you're playing a sport and you're good and that senior class really takes you under their wing. Uh, or they don't. And so they're the same thing. You're usually going to get at least one teacher from one through 12 that's going to impact you a certain way. But it that's how varied now the ages are in the NBA, where you're going to have somebody like LeBron, who's literally 20 years older or well, almost at least. Right. Almost right. literally. So that's a uh, that is a quite a a bridge to, um, to or like LeBron's kid is almost his age. Right. And so. I don't expect that necessarily LeBron is going to have that day-to-day They're not going out for drinks like after, a, Mike? I mean, they, well, they can't, right? Yeah, I guess legally, <laughs> at least. Uh, but the it's like you've got the Rondos and the Dudleys when Caruso was there as basically the only young player. Right. Um, or, you know, THD, who wasn't playing a ton. Right. And those well, the guys did, yeah. that uh, – you sh- sure, I mean, yeah – so Dudley took, took Kuz under his wing, but yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. And Kuz, though, Kuz at that point had been in the league for a couple of years. Sure. But, but yes, like your, the point remains. And so it's got to be the guys, though, that don't have to also do everything on the court. Like Agreed. LeBron, even like AD. It's got to be the guys that have the, the time to look at film with you because they don't have to just focus on the other opponent because they're not going to be playing 36 minutes and the whole game plan is orchestrated mm-hmm. around them. So that's part of it. So they're in, in on this Laker team that gets a little bit more complicated because the first thing they have to get is just guys that can come in and play, let alone having the guy like it's a luxury sometimes to have the Rondos and the Dudleys on the end of the roster because you can, 
and you might not need a backup to the three that you're not sure can be the three. Mm-hmm. So I just I see this as a as an ideal that I might not prioritize quite as much uh, because this team also has to win next year. So it's yes. just going to be complicated where how can you serve all of those uh, masters and with with while still acknowledging the importance of it for a kid like this. Yeah, that's that's the thing is I, I feel like we filled in the back end of our roster pretty nicely, um, but we need some dudes who can play in that mid tier. And that's kind of where we leave the roster as we exit the draft and head into free agency. So, D, this is something that you've been championing for a while now, but looking at the roster with with the two ways as well, with Swider and Pippen, both one's a guard and one's a forward who's a shooter, but both very much perimeter players. I feel like everybody from here on out needs to be taller than 6'5 um, when I yes. look at the roster right now. So, yeah, man, talk to me about that. No, like the Lakers have a lot of work to do with with their roster. And, mm-hmm. you know, Mike, Rob Palinka got asked some questions about Russell Westbrook yesterday. This isn't going to be a Russell Westbrook pod because there'll be plenty of more time to talk about Russell Westbrook. But that's a looming question. He has a player option coming up. And I thought Rob answered the question appropriately uh, by, if not leading with the idea, but just acknowledging the fact that if he's back, because it is an if at this point, it's not only an if from a player option perspective that he has control over, but then whatever could potentially happen with a trade. There's a lot of work to do in terms of filling out the rest of the team. The Lakers, what, 70% of the Lakers roster was free agents. There's still decisions to make on Stanley Johnson and Wenyan Gabriel and Austin Reeves, right? Those are team options. We didn't even get into the idea and this is something that I'm going to be interested to when it comes to Christie is what kind of contract does Christie even sign? The Lakers have been notorious at signing second round picks or undrafted guys to two year contracts. And that's something that I hope does not happen with Christie because Pete, you just talked about how what's he going to be in three years? Well, if you sign a two year contract, three years might be on to the whole other team, right? Yeah, and that's that's one of the things too. Like, uh, there have been several teams who sign those guys to like four year deals with team options in the third and fourth year. I'm not like this is not something that I'm particularly knowledgeable about, but I'd love if you believe in a guy, if you think he's going to be good in yes. three years, how about like let's make sure he's under contract in three years? That's right, and and so now I'm looking at building out the rest of the roster. The Lakers need a big man. They need another big. Right. It can't just be Anthony Davis and then LeBron James. Like we saw the hazards of saying, yeah, well, guess what? Those two guys, they're our power forward and center, and they're going to be the ones that we lean on. Well, yeah. What if they're not available to play? Right. Like, so you need viable front court players and you need another viable big man, at least one, because you want the flexibility in order to be able to play different styles of basketball. And I'm going to keep pounding my fist on the table around like, okay, well, who are you targeting and what are the deals and what player types are you looking for? And Mike, I don't know if you want to get into this now. I know we're going to wrap up, but Rob did mention several things that he is looking for in players. And I don't have the quote in front of me and I don't expect you to either, but that idea of shooting and defense and athleticism, and he may have mentioned motor as well, but like, yeah, sign me up. And in fact, considering that you drafted a potential shooter, you used a two-way on 
a shooter in Swider, right? Who then, I think's a better player right now, probably than than Christie is. Then side me up for more defense and motor, and then maybe slash shooting third for me yeah. at this point because I really do want guys who can go out there and compete defensively and hold up athletically in support of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. I got a chance to sit down with Darvin uh, a couple of days ago. And so I'm working on a piece probably for early next week. And we talked about this a little bit. And so it gave me some insight into his conversations with Rob and Rob touched on him. But clearly, they've spent a lot of time already looking at the roster, right? Okay, what kind of guys are going to compliment LeBron and AD specifically? where if Russ does opt in and he stays here, what are the things that we need him to do? And, and of course, Rob said that very concisely. Um, it, it just has to start with defense. And and then kind of we can talk about stuff after that if that happens. Mm. Um, and then what are the what are the pieces that need to come around that? Well, one of the things is, is just simply in, with shooting, um, which I, I still think they think is important to complement what LeBron and AD do. But the bigger thing is this this piece of toughness and athleticism and grit and the things that were clearly lacking last year that were not lacking in the previous two years. So that's known. Like that's that's known. That's there's a list clearly of players that they're going to be looking for. And those are the kind of things that are going to be considered, hopefully, with each one. Mm-hmm. And the, the height has something to do with that, I guess, and the size and all that. But it's it's a little bit like if you looked at you're watching the finals last week and you every other broadcast at least, Breen mentioned something about how you know, Gary Payton, they they say that he's the tallest 6'3 guy ever, like that uh-huh. kind of thing. So sure. if you're going to get somebody that's that's lacking a little bit in height, then it, it better be a dog, like who's going to get out there and get in your face, you mm-hmm. know, and defend and that kind of thing. So like the point guard equivalent would be like Fred Van Vliet, right? Somebody who's really small, but is going to battle you or Chris Paul, Lowry, like the, the fire hybrid type guys. So the, the archetype there, that has to be there, I think, surrounding what the players are going to be as they roster build. And one of the fundamental truths I, I think about our roster when we're healthy is that it's not possible for us to be a small team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on the floor, right? Like we've seen teams, we certainly saw a Lakers team that often did not have one of those guys on the floor be way too small this past season. So we saw this firsthand up close this this past year. But when we're right, like there's no there are teams that can be bigger than those teams and we could lose some battles because the team was they beat us from a strength and, and size perspective but i don't think you can dominate a group like that physically and so it opens the doors to at other positions the, those tallest 63 guys in in the world as do does a player like Steph Curry who's a completely different type of player from a LeBron or an AD that's one of the cool things about basketball i think but yeah anyhow th- there is a lot of great conversations to be had ahead on monday i think we're going to get more into the okay now we're past the draft we've got free agency coming up what are the holes on the roster what are we looking for uh for how all of this to come together uh, but until then you've been listening to laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time james has got it in low to mikhail mikhail wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy tips to magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores there's magic got it magic fires it's good they will A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. 
a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Let's go. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.